at St. Mary's are ringing us in. I just love that. I wonder if they know just how ecumenical they're being when they sound off the bells like that. That's great. So if you see anybody from there, be sure to thank them for ringing the bells at 11. And if you live in the neighborhood, it's really just a wonderful way, I think, of sort of reckoning time and getting into a bit of a rhythm. So we are in the 10th Sunday after Pentecost. We've had three weeks of parables where Jesus has told stories about what the rule and realm of God might be like. Today we hear that realm in action and we witness that. And there are a couple of things I'll point out and boy, I'll tell you, it'll make smooth sailing for the sermon if I do. The one is the collision between the empire and Jesus' way and God's way of doing things. Um, And the reason that comes is because of John the Baptist's unjust execution. But the other thing that happens is that as Jesus is away and trying to find healing for himself, the crowds follow, and he, in turn, heals other people and feeds them. So there you have the rule and realm of God in action. There aren't too many other announcements at the front end of the service. There are a couple we will do at the end. Uh, So if you don't mind, I'm going to call somebody out at the end. Diane, would you please remind me that you're going to say something about the golf tournament? Some absent-minded pastor was supposed to say something last week, didn't happen, so we'll try for this week. And we'll also talk about the schedule of services for next week as well. We'll do that all just before the blessing today. St. Matthew. Now when Jesus had heard this, the murder of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, Well, we have nothing here but five loaves, two fish. And Jesus said, Bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate 
and were filled, and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. The Gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you from God, the extravagant creator, Jesus, who loves abundantly, and the spirit who brings us together to bear witness to God's love in the world. Do you suppose that all of those people traipsing through the wilderness thought about the Exodus story? being provided for, especially when the hour was late, the place deserted, and the need enormous? Maybe. But Matthew notices. In fact, Matthew puts out a little breadcrumb trail for us to connect us back to that Exodus story. We see what you're doing here, St. Matthew, as you use the word for walking, the same word used for God's partner people trekking through the Sinai desert in search of home. Same word. And then there's sort of some phrasing that I will admit to tripping up over. But it's there, and it telegraphs why Matthew tells the story the way he tells it. All of these people are being fed. He doesn't have a precise number, but it's interesting the counting. Some 5,000 men plus women and children. Kind of an odd expression for many of us, and yet it harks to the stories told in the Exodus when people were counted in much the same way as they prepared to go from place to place. So there's something very intentional going on here, not only in what story Matthew tells, but how he chooses to tell it. I think it's up to us then to start to figure out, well, what is Matthew's agenda? What is a possible word for us, the church. That's a bit of a fast forward, but I think it's somewhat legitimate in that Matthew wrote to a community of people who lived very much on the margins, who struggled, who were trying to find their place. And so Matthew has a word for folks such as these, for folks who wander wilderness waiting to be fed, but I think there's also a word in there for Jesus' apprentices and for us. Another, do you suppose? Do you suppose that Jesus' followers, looking back as they sat at table with Jesus at Passover, remembered when Jesus took bread, when he gave thanks, when he broke it, and when he gave it to them, 
Do you think they remembered that event in the wilderness where God showed up with such abundance? Maybe they remembered. Maybe not. But that feeding of crowds is a singular event. That's not something that I think happens every single day. And that's another reason that maybe Matthew tells such a story. And the story actually points beyond itself and beyond the meal of the day. It points to God's abundance, which we see colliding with our perceptions of scarcity. I think the disciples are right. It's late. It's dark. We're out in the middle of nowhere, and we've got a couple of baguettes and some fish. And a crowd of people big enough to fill a hockey arena to feed. What are we going to do? I think their solution makes sense. Send people to the villages to eat, to find food while it's still available. Seems a smart approach to me. But what's confounding, if you thought the parables were confounding, is Jesus saying, oh, no, 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 that's okay. They can eat right here. Bring what you have and we'll feed them. Now, even in seminary, they don't pull us aside and say, now here's how it was done. We don't know. In fact, it reminds us a great deal, I think, of that story that John tells about the wedding at Cana when the wine ran out. You know that one? Water becomes wine and nobody except for the wine stewards. And a couple of people know what happened and how it happened. All they know is, wow, late in the wedding we have this wonderful wine in grand abundance. This is great. What a party. Maybe those multitudes being fed were the same. They didn't know how it was that their meal came to be, but it did somehow. Now, John would say, well, that points to God's abundance. And the abundance doesn't always show up in the way of stuff. It sometimes shows up in the way of God's abiding presence, especially in those deserted, lonely, dark places when the hour is late. And so what is the word for us? I think we start with following the one whose compassion is as abundant as feeding the crowds from seemingly little to nothing. But here's where preachers and maybe all of us are walking thin ice because it's really tempting to do a, now you just ratchet up your faith, good people. You just get in there because if you just chip in a little bit, God's going to, you know, with matching funds, is going to lavish all this extra stuff because you had so much faith you put in your, your bit there. Well, no. <laughs> That's really not what we are designed to learn from Jesus. I mean, if you think about it long and hard enough, think about all of the times when people don't get fed. Let's be honest. What then? 
Well, I think the first thing is that we go back to this Jesus so moved with compassion at what he sees. And then we lift out Jesus' words. Well, you give them something to eat. And guess what? We might have five loaves and a couple of fish worth, if we're lucky. And that may only go so far, but yet that's what we are called to do. That's where our job starts, and it's pretty much where it ends. You feed them. Meanwhile, we let God be God. We let God do whatever it is that God is going to do. And many of us hold fast to what that thing is. Tikkun Holam, the restoration of all things.